0: You're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff.
1: And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about how scientists are using human hair to make better solar panels. Then you'll learn why people tend to add rather than subtract when they want to improve something. With help from university professor and author, Lydie Klotz.
0: Let's satisfy some curiosity.
1: Customers at a barbershop in Brisbane, Australia, have helped scientists inch a bit closer to a carbon-free future. Researchers have turned their hair into carbon dots that improve the performance of cutting-edge solar panels. Perovskite solar panels are a new kind of solar panel that researchers have been developing for about a decade. They're potentially cheaper than silicon panels, and they're flexible. More importantly, they gobble up solar energy like nobody's business. Researchers are pretty sure that perovskites are going to play a big role in the future of electricity. But if they're going to power the world, they have to be easy to make and last a long time. That's where the hair comes in. It turns out that burning human hair at roughly the maximum temperature of a typical home oven produces things called carbon nanodots. These are particles 1,000 times smaller than a red blood cell that can conduct electricity and emit light, which makes them handy when it comes to things like biomedical imaging and chemical analysis. Scientists have known about carbon nanodots for about 15 years, but it was just last year that other researchers first made them out of human hair. The researchers behind this new breakthrough had previously used other nanoscale carbon materials to improve the performance of solar panels and so they tried adding a solution of nanodots during the manufacture of perovskite solar cells in the lab. The carbon dots spontaneously surrounded the perovskite crystals, forming what one of the researchers described as armor. The dots seemed to help keep the sensitive crystals dry and protect them from other environmental variables. Even better, panels with the dots were more efficient and more stable than regular old perovskite panels. They also performed better for longer, though it's difficult to test longevity over the decades that experts hope these panels will keep working. This finding may get us one step closer to greener electricity here on Earth, but the researchers have high-flying plans for their hairy innovation. The International Space Station is currently powered by four huge solar panel arrays— Those silicon solar panels are working just fine right now, but when they need replacing, perovskite might be a great solution. One big reason is that the new material is a lot lighter, which is a big deal when it comes to, you know, escaping Earth's gravity. But there is one problem. Those panels go through a lot of abuse. We're talking extreme levels of radiation and humongous temperature swings. Perovskite solar panels aren't up to the job quite yet but carbon nanodots might make the difference. If that happens, we're going to need a lot more hair.
0: I wonder what's more energy efficient, blondes or brunettes? (laughs) Good question. They say that less is more, but when you need to improve something, your first thought is probably to add something new. Whether it's clothes in our closets, events in our calendars, or ingredients in a dish – it turns out that we have a systematic tendency to overlook the possibility that removing something could make it better. That's according to a study that was published in Nature last month. And today, a researcher behind that study is going to tell us how his team came to this conclusion and what might be causing it. Lydie Klotz is a professor at the University of Virginia and the author of Subtract, The Untapped Science of Less. Lighty says he first noticed this tendency when he was building a Lego bridge with his son. It was lopsided, so he turned around to get a few more bricks to prop it up. But by the time he turned back, his son had taken a few blocks away and the bridge was level. That led him to design a study to see if this tendency to add instead of subtract was universal. And here's what happened.
2: I mean, some of our first studies were just... Based on the Lego, uh, we just did really simple observational studies where, you know, we were sitting out there at a table on the university campus, giving people a structured mass of Legos and asking them to make it better. In that one, it was nobody took away. One out of 60 people took away, for example. And so once we had that kind of observation that, hey, this is a thing that's happening, right? People aren't subtracting. Then we need to get into the, well, maybe they're just not subtracting because it's not Better, right? It's not a problem if they thought of it and then decided against it. The problem would be if they're not thinking of it at all. And so that's when we started to devise experiments that would, you know, could tease out whether people liked it if they thought of it. So, an example, I'll stick with the Lego since we're on that theme now, but one of the experiments we did was basically this Lego structure that we had created. And the task was to stabilize the structure. And, you know, long story short, the easy way. To stabilize the structure was to remove one block and let it pull the top platform down onto a, a larger column another way to stabilize the structure would have been to add nine different blocks and then rest that larger platform on those blocks and even in this case when it was way more work to add and even when we financially incentivized people where we said, look, if you can do this in the least amount of blocks, you get a bigger reward. People still overlooked subtracting. And then when we told them, Hey, you know, this is when we gave them reminders, for example, you can add or subtract, then they started to subtract more. So that was some of the Lego based evidence that Hey, it's not just that we're thinking of subtracting and we're considering it and we just don't like it. It's actually that we're not even considering it. We add and then move on.
1: Are there any theories for why we don't think about subtraction?
2: Well, I mean, I think with our research, we kind of left it at, you know, hey, this is something that is... The reason that we don't think about it is because we have this heuristic search of we think of adding first. That's the reason that we don't think of subtracting. And so when we think of adding, then we it's good enough and we we move on without considering the other options. I think my book gets into some of the reasons why this might be the case. Certainly not, you know, proven in the way that the paper is. But, you know, as with any behavior there's going to be biological and, and cultural and economic reasons why this is happening and all of these things reinforce each other right so just the biological need to acquire you know we need to eat to survive and pass down our genes Um, that's something that you see in hoarding pack rats for example right they they will build their stockpiles back as soon as you take the stockpiles away and they're not that's not some like rational decision process that's like a hardwired instinct that i need to stockpile this stuff and so you know that's not the only explanation but certainly that's something that could kind of a biological reason that could tie in another biological reason we were talking about kids earlier is there's just this desire to show competence right this is like a fundamental human need is to show that we're doing things and we can act on our world and um adding is a really visible way to show that you're acting on your world right when you create a podcast there it is out there in the world the 45 minutes of my talking that you're going to edit out of the podcast is not going <laughs> to, is not going to show up in the world. Right. And so it's um, that's why we need professional editors to take away the content. So, and that's a very, again, a biological need to show competence. And then some of the cultural reasons that might get overlaid on top of that. Right. I w- this was really intriguing for me when I was doing the research for the book, because I'm an engineer. And so, you know, I have this high esteem for, Big structures. That's always what I'm interested in when we're going on vacation and things. And when I was doing the research for the book and look like reading this history and, you know, from the archaeologists and the anthropologists and the people who study this deep history, one of the things that they agreed on had to be there for a civilization to be a civilization. So we know about like writing and those kinds of things. But one of the things was monumental architecture. This was like one of the top five things that had to be there for a civilization to be a civilization. So, you know, you see the pyramids of Egypt, the Roman Colosseum, for example. Um, The example I use in my book is just the Washington Monument kind of follows this same basic trend is that it's not that civilizations thrive and then build these huge monuments it's that building these huge monuments is essential to the founding of the civilization so like building the body of the civilization then builds the culture of the civilization and again this isn't the full explanation for you know why we overlook subtraction, but it's like a pretty powerful and fundamental cultural force. I mean, we've all come from these civilizations that have come about in part because of building monumental architecture. So there's the cultural one. And then the the last force that's kind of there with any kind of behavior is just the economic forces, right? And so to the extent that gross domestic product is a in general a useful metric but it definitely incentivizes adding right if you when you take away economic activity that makes gross domestic product go down even if the economic activity is a war or a prison or something that we don't like it's not necessarily incentivized so in in some ways it's hard to make kind of subtraction add up right in terms of the the economic benefits of it
0: I'd love to hear any tips you can give a regular person to just implement some of these ideas. Do you have a top 1 or top 2? Top 1 is to stop overlooking
2: subtraction, right? <laughs> that's that's number 1. And then number 2 is like when you encounter something that you're trying to make better, just ask ask yourself, is there something that I can take away? Maybe you won't like the option, but at least you'll at least you'll consider
0: it. You heard him? Next time you're trying to make something better, see if there's something you can remove instead of add. I'd say that's a great takeaway. Again, that was Lydie Klotz, a professor at the University of Virginia and the author of Subtract, The Untapped Science of Less. You can find a link to pick up the book in today's show notes. All right, well, let's recap the main things we learned today. Well, we learned that scientists are turning human hair into carbon dots to help solar panels perform better. It turns out that burning human hair produces particles that can conduct electricity and emit light. In the case of perovskite solar panels, the nanodots surround the perovskite crystals like a little suit of armor, and that shields the sensitive crystals from the elements. Not a bad deal.
1: I love this. We think about high-tech stuff like requiring all these rare minerals and metals, and here we are, just like... Trash from a salon. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And we learned that when people want to improve something, they tend to add things rather than subtract them, even when it takes more work, which it usually does. We could have this tendency for lots of reasons, like the biological need to acquire or a desire to show that we're acting on our world or the cultural tendency to construct things like monuments or the economic incentive to buy things to add to the economy.
0: And hey, knowledge is power. So now that you know all this, stop overlooking subtraction. When you come across something you want to improve, see if taking something away might do the trick. You might not even like the option at first, but who knows? It may grow on you.
1: What lighty study immediately made me think about was playing jazz. Because, you know, when you improvise a solo, there are different ways to do it, and it's way harder than you'd think to play a simple melody that has only the notes you want and none of the notes you don't. And what a lot of people end up doing is just playing a whole lot of notes because they've kind of programmed that muscle memory to be able to play those licks and they'll just surround their solos with all of this technique. But yeah, the real challenge is subtracting and being simple. And I think that that's true for a lot of art forms.
0: Yeah, if you want examples of the difference in just playing a ton of notes and not playing a ton of notes, listen to Miles Davis's kind of Blue Album, because Miles Davis uses silence in a very particular way, and John Coltrane does not. John Coltrane is just like, how many notes can I pack into this?
1: Yes. Oh, man, I have so many opinions about John Coltrane. I mean, he's a he's a master at what he does, but I prefer his earlier stuff where he is more simplistic. Now, his later stuff is like genre bending and it's amazing. But, you know, sometimes I just want a nice melody.
0: Music comes from silence. Yeah. And this podcast is a great example of less. Every day, Ashley and I spend most of our time figuring out what to remove from scripts. That's right. And audio, it's tough. Oh, man, Cody, you know it would be really funny is if
1: you cut me off at the middle of a sentence. The writer for today's first story was Grant Curran.
0: Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer, who is also an audio editor on today's episode.
1: Our producer and lead audio editor is Cody Goff.
0: Join us again tomorrow.
1: Stay curious.
0: Maybe, maybe we shouldn't subtract there, Ashley. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe instead I should just say join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes.
1: And until then, stay curious.